Let's pray as we stand. Oh, Heavenly Father, your scriptures promise that your word, when it goes out from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but accomplish the purposes that you have for it. And Lord, we ask that this evening, by your Holy Spirit, that your word would speak to us, that it would minister to us, and that Jesus would be made ever more precious to us. And Lord, we ask too that these gifts given tonight and throughout the week would be used for your kingdom to accomplish the purposes that you have for them. Amen. Please do take your seats. And if you've got a Bible, do keep it open uh, at uh, Colossians uh, chapter 4. Clickbait. Here's what happens when you send garlic bread to the edge of space and then eat it. Do pineapples make great iPhone cases? This outrageous truth about green gummy bears will blow your mind. I'm sure most of you have fallen for clicking on a link like that at some point. But the chapter headings in our NIVs don't make for great clickbait, do they? Further instructions is the first one in our passage this evening. Where's the incentive to read on there? And then final greetings. It sounds like a bit of an afterthought, doesn't it? Perhaps just some general good advice tacked on to the end of the letter. Maybe some bits and pieces that Paul had forgotten to mention previously. And the content, instructions on prayer, evangelism, and an assortment of names and blessings. It's not necessarily at the top of everyone's reading list, is it? Is this just Paul looking uh, for finding the best place for some obligatory, but perhaps less palatable teaching? Well, despite what the headings might imply, Paul isn't moving on to anything new. He's already given his verdict. The Colossians already have everything they need in Christ. And nor is this the start of the unappealing part of his letter. Here, together with the second half of chapter 3, we have the climax of the teaching as Paul shows us how the riches of knowing Jesus Christ overflows in the life of the believer. We saw last week how this works out in our set of family values, a set of family distinctives, kindness, humility, patience, compassion, values that just look different from the world around us. And this week, we'll see that Christians, as Christians, we don't just share a set of family values, we have a share in the family business too. As Christians, we join the family business that is, one, upward in prayer, two, outward in purpose, and our third point, together in partnership. But first, upward in prayer. Look down with me at our opening verses. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's been said that wandering up and down a few aisles in a supermarket 
can tell you quite a lot about what makes us tick in the West. It's on display there for all to see, and none more so, I think, than on the household cleaning aisle. Products filling the shelves everywhere you look, vying for our attention with claims they are bigger, better, more effective than their neighbor. And implicit is the alluring idea of things that offer more for less, more of the good stuff for less money, or more time to spend on the things you want to rather than scrubbing the dishes. More comfort, less elbow grease. Comfort has indeed become one of the gods of our culture. And someone in marketing today wouldn't think much of the way Paul sells prayer in his letter to the Colossians. Paul says back in, in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 3, we always thank God when we pray for you. And verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you. Always thank, not stopped, continually ask. To our modern ears, it seems a strange way to sell prayer. Paul has to keep doing it. It doesn't sound like a killer advertisement for an effective product, does it? And later on in chapter 4 uh, this evening, we'll see that Paul describes Epaphras as wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. Epaphras wrestling. Colossians, keep up the good work. Let me tell you how easy other people find it. As easy as wrestling. You know, some of our problems with prayer are not from expecting too much from it, but too little. Prayer can be a spiritual pick-me-up, but that's not all it is. Prayer is not just a bolt-on to boost our individual Christian experience. And we shortchange ourselves if that's our view of prayer. Prayer is about much more than that. Prayer is how we learn to depend on the Lord and partner with our brothers and sisters. Dependence and partnership. Paul and the Colossians are separated physically, and yet they are contending together because they are, they are united in prayer. So for us as Christians, prayer is at the heart of the family business. And in this family, it's just how things get done. No, it really is just how things get done. In our church, Cornerstone Church, blessed by God in, in so many ways with a fantastic building and lots going on, it can be easy at first glance to think that everything's covered and perhaps to start to wonder what our place might be here. Think again. Stop for a moment and wonder afresh that the God of the universe, who spoke and brought creation into being, now not only listens to our prayers, but works through them. So in our family business, prayer isn't tucked away in some dusty back office. It's not outsourced to a distant country. It's not delegated to a select few. It's at the heart 
of all our activity. Because in God's economy, what can we hope to achieve except in prayer? And don't be downhearted when you find prayer a struggle, given the awesome truth of what is going on when we pray. It's no surprise that our time and our energy and our mental resources are occupied when we come before the God of the universe asking for his help. When we pray for others, we're on the front line, struggling for them in exactly the place they need us. And how the enemy loves a prayerless church. So come together and partner in the gospel by wrestling for our brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, for our world, for our friends and for our neighbours, for our colleagues and for our family, wrestling in devoted prayer. Engage your heart and your mind as we pray in our services. Prioritise the regular prayer meetings. Squeeze the most out of the time available in connect groups. In this family business, what can we hope to achieve except through prayer? But Paul knows that on, our, on their own and on our own, it wouldn't be long before we run out of steam. And the next two words, watchful and thankful, are the motivation for us to keep going. Come back with me to that supermarket cleaning aisle for just a moment. In recent weeks, uh, Fairy Liquid has faced the wrath of eagle-eyed customers. I've got the issue on the, the screen there behind me. I wonder if you can spot it. It's an example of what's become known as shrinkflation. The bottle of fairy liquid on the left is what a, a large bottle of fairy liquid looked like uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, on the right is the updated version after the 6th of May. 870 millilitres is now 820 millilitres as an article online pointed out. Same price, less product, snuck onto the shelves of supermarkets near you. You can thank me later. But the evidence in Colossians points to a, an influence which has, has crept in, which has in some way tried to exchange the real Jesus. And Paul is at pains to remind the Colossians that the real Jesus is the God-man, the creator God, the word made flesh. And even though the exact nature of the new theological product offered by the false teachers might not be completely obvious to us uh, today, the consequences are clear in the letter. The go-it-alone false teachers have become puffed up, not holding fast to Christ, and they've lost any ability they had to resist their own sinful desires. And the Colossians, in contrast, are to be watchful. They're to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's where the power is for sanctification and salvation. The power comes only from the real Jesus, Christ crucified, 
taking on himself the punishment that our sins deserve. As we pray, we reorientate our hearts with the truth about him. As we take time to consider what he's like, who he is, what he has done, and what he continues to do for us. Looking at Jesus is how we maintain a thankful overflow that keeps us coming back to God in wonder and in praise. Continuing to gaze on him is the fuel that keeps us going. If the first strand of the family business is upward prayer, the second, we'll see in our passage, is outward purpose. And they're connected, aren't they? Look down with me at the thankful prayer of verse 2, which leads to an outward overflow in verse 3. Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Prayer reminds us not just of the God that we depend on, but also the family we're welcomed into. Prayer nurtures in us the shared values we saw last week. It's not only Paul who benefits when the Colossians pray for him, but they too, if they devote themselves to prayer. In this business, prayer is never wasted. And now Paul moves on to talk more about the second strand of the business, evangelism. And like prayer, I think disappointment in evangelism often comes not because we expect too much of it, but too little. Some of our workers overseas Uh, Rachel and Shord, came to talk a bit more about their ministry the other week. And they shared a tool they were were using to help people unpack the scriptures. Uh, There's a picture uh, of it on the screen there. And the tool is, in fact, simple enough that it can be represented by those picture cards so that people who don't read in their heart language can still unpack the Bible for themselves. So step one... Uh, is pray. Step two is listen to God's word. You can see the, uh, the MP3 radio player with an SD card in it there on screen. Step three and four are consider your initial positive and negative reactions to scripture. But at step five and step six, I want to draw our attention to this evening. Step five, what do we learn from this passage about God. And step six, what do we learn from this passage about people? These are two great questions to ask of Scripture, but especially, I think, of our doctrine when it comes to evangelism. What does this teaching make of God, and what does this teaching make of mankind? Because shot through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is the awesome majesty of God alongside our own weighty responsibility. In our passage, Paul says, pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So what do we learn here of God? Firstly, that God must open the door for the word. 
There can be no gospel fruit without God at work. Paul imprisoned Paul, knew better than most who could and couldn't open a locked Roman door. Not him, nor anyone without the key. No human heart has ever won a heart for Christ without God's enabling hand. As Rupert pointed out in his sermon a few weeks ago, the power to make alive those who are dead rests with God alone. What a humbling truth that is. This is our awesome God in charge and in control. We need God to provide us both the chance to speak and also the words to speak. So what do we learn of people? Well, that God gives us, his people, an important role in his plan. In prayer, as we've seen already, but also here in speech. There is a direct role when God gives us those precious minutes to share the gospel in its fullness. And it's that sort of direct opportunity that the Apostle Paul and Timothy are asking for, specific prayer for here, to proclaim the mystery of Christ, to make it clear as they ought to speak. But there's also another sort of opportunity, a responsive, conversational opportunity, which is to mark the Colossians every interaction. Paul says to them, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Colossians are to consider carefully how they answer each and every person. They are to be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. To answer everyone requires grace on the one hand and salt on the other. Grace is a sweet summary of that new wardrobe we heard about a few weeks ago and those family values we now have in Christ. Grace is to flow outward in our every interaction and especially in our conversations with outsiders, with those who aren't Christians. It's a high calling for us, isn't it? When we open our mouths to respond to the difficult person at work, it's not clothes from the old wardrobe that are to come tumbling out, anger, slander, malice, but the new family values that are to be on full display, compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Grace is what we're to be full of. But salt is the seasoning, a distinctive tang. Salt in the, in the Bible is associated with judgment. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were sprinkled with salt. Lot's wife became a pillar of salt for her disobedience. And at the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we see that the new creation 
will be a place where fresh water finally triumphs over salt water. In the soft relativism of today's culture, the gospel brings a distinctive edge. Our message is not simply that Christ is the rock. We also say all other ground is sinking sand. And in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul reminded the Colossian Christians that the wrath of God is coming. Those outside the church also need to hear about the judgment of God against sin. In our conversation with others, we should at times expect to say things like, I disagree. I can't go along with that. Jesus actually said the opposite. With a master in heaven, as God's people, we're not to be people pleasers anymore. But nor are we to pick fights and hunt out controversy. Remember, grace is what we're to be full of, with salt just the seasoning. So, upward in prayer, outward in purpose, the first two aspects of the family business. But as he closes, Paul reminds them of the third distinctive in this family business, together in partnership. And his approach here, after the rich teaching we've had so far, is not really very complicated at all. It doesn't need to be. Eleven different names and groups are mentioned. I'll have a go at saying a couple of them in a minute again. <laughs> and it's as though here Paul is bringing out the family photo album, showing how gospel partnership is lived out in the extended family of believers. And as each page is turned in the family photo album, another set of family members is revealed. Each picture shows that Paul's teaching so far isn't out of reach, wishful thinking, but a tangible reality evidenced in real lives. So on the first page are Tychicus and Wansimus. Dependable, faithful Tychicus is a dear brother trusted to carry Paul's letters all over the Roman Empire. He, along with Wantimus, will certainly carry encouraging news with them as they share all that God is doing through Paul and Timothy. But don't miss how well this pairing demonstrates all that Paul has been saying so far. Tychicus is described by Paul as a fellow servant. That's Tychicus, who, unlike Paul, didn't leave any writings of his own or tales of particularly special events. Paul and Tychicus are fellow servants. There's no hierarchy of importance or spare forgotten members in this family. All our servants, all of us, have a role to play as we partner together in the gospel. And then once us, here is a man the Colossians would certainly recognize when they saw him staring back at them. Wantimus was once known all too well to the Colossians as an unbelieving 
runaway slave. So you could imagine the stories that might be exchanged when they saw him there in the album now return to them as a faithful, beloved brother. Even Wansomus. Now there's an example of Christ's power at work. And in the photo on the next page of the album, the radical inclusion of the gospel is made even clearer. Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, known as Justice, these three are Paul's Jewish co-workers, Jews who would presumably have grown up understanding from the scriptures that they have been set apart from the other nations as God's chosen people. And yet now, because of what Jesus has done, these co-workers now join with Paul in proclaiming that there is not Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, but Christ in all. The people of God are no longer distinguished by those old divisions, but faith alone in Christ alone. So these Jewish co-workers in God's kingdom now smile out from the album, greeting a largely non-Jewish Colossian congregation as equals in the gospel. There are no second-class citizens in this family. And then Epaphras. Here's someone they would have known well too. And in contrast to Onesimus, for the time being, Epaphras wouldn't be returning to Colossae in person. But though far away in location, Epaphras was as useful a servant as anyone else as he wrestled on in prayer for the Colossians. Here was somebody overflowing in practical love. And then a page with Luke and Demas. Beloved Dr. Luke, the only Gentile non-Jewish writer of the New Testament. Radical inclusion on display again. But Demas, this is the Demas who Paul would later write of in 2 Timothy. Demas, in 2 Timothy this is, in love with the present world has deserted me. That Demas, who at this stage appears to be one of Paul's trusted companions, could still later walk away from the work because of the distractions of the world, ought to give us pause for sober thought. Let us be humble enough to realise that we all need the encouragement and prayer of fellow believers and the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit to keep going. Paul recognises that we need gospel partnership. That's why he says in the next few verses, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Paul is here, in effect, taking the hands of the Laodiceans and the Colossians and inviting them to join together in, in practice, not just in theory. And to exchange letters, to share greetings. The gospel bonds that tie us to our fellow believers are there to be enjoyed, 
They're there to be used. They are there for our strengthening. And as we finish the series tonight, I want to encourage you to consider all that God has been teaching you, not just on your own, but together. Because we've seen in this series that Christ is enough. There is nowhere else to turn. Christ is enough. Secure our place in his forever family. Christ is enough to equip us in our struggles. Christ is enough for us to overflow upward and outward in love. Paul's final words to the Colossians. Grace be with you. In other words, may God's undeserved, freely given favour rest on you. The shared bonds of grace, freely given, are what keep us together as church family. Let's remember those now as we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that we come before you empty-handed, that, we, that on our own we, we don't bring anything. And we're sorry for the times where we try to go it alone, trusting in our own strength and efforts rather than relying on you. But Lord, we thank you that you're a good, good God, overflowing in compassion and love. And that out of your mercy and grace, through your son, you welcome us into your family. And Lord, we thank you that you use us too. And Lord, would you lift our hearts this week to see the wonderful privilege that it is to be part of your family. That you have chosen to use us in your kingdom plans for the world. Amen.